I give to God by enjoying what he has given me, okay? I mean, do you really think he expects something back? Now, I know there's a lot of people at church that would not understand this line of reasoning. That's why, just to make things simple and not to cause any controversy, I like to carry what I call the little empty envelope, all right? You see, when the plate gets passed, I bloop, put it in there like that. The deacon's counting the money. They only know me as the crazy empty envelope guy, but the people sitting around me, clueless. <laughs> I win, they win, God wins. No one gets hurt because no one knows. God knows. Huh? Let me ask you a question, huh? How's your mutual fund? Hey, for that matter, how's all your funds? Ha has the fun left your funds, huh? Has your dory me taking a W-A-L-K, huh? What if I told you that I knew about an investment you could make that the return would be mind-boggling? And, 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 it's, and it's promised, it's guaranteed. I know what you're saying, there's no guarantees. This one's guaranteed, okay? Malachi 3.10, so it says in the Old Testament, says, test me, give to God, and he will give you back. It goes like this, I give this, he gives this. I give this, he gives this. I give this, <laughs> right up there, he keeps giving. I can't outgive God, how crazy is that? <laughs> Do I love him? Sure, whatever. I'm just saying, if you give, he gives back. I tithe. But just not like in the form of a 10% check, per se. Let me tell you what I mean. When I go to church on a Sunday morning, they're selling donuts, I buy some. Boom, that's a tithe. When my whole Sunday school class wants donuts, and I, out of the goodness of my heart, buy a whole bunch for the Sunday school class, boom, that's another tithe. But it's not about me spending money. It's about the smile on people's faces. That, my friends, is tithe enough for me. Case in point, the church was having date nights where we could take our spouse out for an evening, and they were charging $25 for child care. Boom shakalaka tithe. I'll tell you what the biggest tithe was. When I spent over $100 on our meal, and my wife was grinning ear to ear, that, my friends, a tithe. I, I would like to give. I would, okay? But everything right now is just... Crazy. I mean, just crazy, you know? I mean, not normal crazy, really crazy, you know? And if after I paid my bills and took care of the things that I need and want, then I would, I would consider giving something. But not, now it's crazy. We're, we're, we're going to give later. We've already talked about it. I mean, down the road, we'll be crazy givers. But right now, it's just crazy. Yeah, I have money, that's a fact. But you know what, it's a hard thing between me and the Lord and the pastor because he needs to know what I'm giving now that we have this little building campaign going on, if you know what I'm saying. And pastor, I'd give a little bit more. I'd give a little something, something if you'd have that music minister sing a couple more hymns now and then, huh? Hey, what's this, what's this? Is that a Benjamin? I think it is. Benji likes hymns, come on, you want it? Ah, come on, pastor, do what I say, huh? Ah, 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 ah. <laughs> In my life, Lord, be glorified in me. I put money in the plate. Wait, wait, wait. Look what I have here. Hope doesn't interfere. But that everyone can hear how I give with cheer. That everyone could be like Now that we've had a good laugh, buckle up. We're going to talk about your money.
Some of us like it way too much. So um, it was Martin Luther who said that there are three conversions a person needs to experience the conversion of the head, the conversion of the heart, and the conversion of the pocketbook. So um, we're going to talk about something that's near and dear to our hearts, and it's the hardest thing um, to talk about sometimes. Uh, but money is the, uh, one of the top five, I would say, most difficult topics for a pastor to discuss. Uh, to preach on. And it's not because the Bible is silent on it. It's not because we're not sure what to say. It's not because we don't know where to find information. Jesus talks about it a lot. Um, It's worth noting that money is so important um, in the Bible that it's the main subject of nearly half of the parables that Jesus taught. Uh, One in every seven verses in the the New Testament talks about uh, this topic. The Bible offers 500 verses on prayer, fewer than 500 verses on faith, and more than 2,000 verses on money. 15% of everything Jesus ever taught was on the topic of money and possessions, which is more than his teachings on heaven and hell combined. So clearly, there is a fundamental connection between our spiritual lives and our financial lives, how we see Jesus and how we see our money. So why is this topic then so widely avoided? Um, because when you talk about, here's the reason, when you talk about money, and for some of us this is going to hurt, and, and I want it to be a, a conviction, not a guilt trip, but because when you talk about money for many people, m- many in this room probably, you're talking about their God. You're talking about that which has demanded their attention, has, has achieved their affection, has captivated their mind to the point where they cannot see themselves giving it away for any reason whatsoever. You're asking people to give up that which they worship. When some churchy dude in some churchy church with some churchy language starts to stand up and begins to attempt to persuade people to give away that which they've invested their whole life accumulating, maintaining, and securing, watch out. So for many pastors, we cave in. We do. We avoid it. We skirt the issue. Because when we do talk about it, we're hesitant. We try to put some, some positive spin on it so that you'll feel it's this giant pill and we want to try to help it down. So we, we smother it with goodness and happiness and nice feelings and grab the plunger and try to put it down, to put it down somehow. We're afraid. To be quite honest with you, this is... I don't know the last time that when I preached, I was, I was as... Um, afraid of preaching as right now because I know that what I'm going to tell you, you're going to hate. You're not going to like it. In fact, when I read what Jesus says about my money and, and my opinion about it, I don't like it. It, 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 it. it takes my heart and opens it up and reveals things that I'm not really excited about. And so my hope is that we can experience some sort of conviction and not guilt. But here's why we're afraid. We're afraid you'll be offended. We're afraid that we'll accidentally provoke guilt in the hearts of a family who's struggling financially. Those of some people in here right now, you might be struggling financially to make ends meet. And the last thing that I want to do as a pastor is to provoke more guilt as if in your time of need, you might think to yourself, maybe I'm not good enough and I need to be better for God. And this financial reason is because of my misgiving and whatever else. And that's not what we want to do. We're afraid that we'll unintentionally reinforce the stigmatism that church wants your money for all you new people here. If this is your first time here, believe me, we don't talk about this topic enough. Money is truly the idol of choice for American Christians. I say if 15% of what Jesus talks about in the Bible is about money, perhaps 15% at least 
15% should be what we talk about on Sunday morning. Either way, at some point, at some point, in every one of our spiritual lives, we're going to have to make a decision about money. We're going to have to make a conscious choice of what we're going to do. And my hope today is that I will provide for you what the Bible shares with us about money, about what we worship possibly within our money, and so that we can make a conscious choice to say, yes, I'm going to give it now, or maybe, yes, I'm going to give more. And if you give what you believe God has given you in your heart to give, then you rest assured you are doing God's will. This is not to provoke you to give more. This is if what you're doing is what you have decided between you and God and your family to give. But for some of us, we're hesitant and we're, we withhold that which God might ask for, from us. And so I hope that God would move in our hearts. You see, it's either ours and we have the right to determine what to do with it, or it's God's, he's letting us borrow it, and he has the authority to tell us what to do with it. Those two things are true, one of those two things. So, as we get into this know our heart in this church, this is not a guilt trip. In fact, what we're going to tell you today is that the last thing that God wants you to do is give out of guilt. That is the last thing that God ever intends for us to do. He wants to give joyfully and cheerfully. So we learned last week, uh, Pastor Jim uh, very rightly said, and, uh, that tithers, uh, this is statistics that come um, to us, tithers make up only 10 to 15% of a normal congregation. So 10 to 15% of people within any regular body of Christ among the, the, the United States gives a regular tithe, 10 to 25%. So at the max of their findings, it's a quarter of the church. Only 5% of the U.S. tithes, with 80% of Americans only giving 2% of their income. And the last thing that Pastor Jim mentioned is Christians are only giving at 2.5%, while during the Great Depression, they gave 3.3%. People during the Great Depression gave more than we do now, comparatively. Again, please don't feel guilty. But please understand the ramifications that happens. So as American Christians, we're either living out of our right to do with our money as we please, or, or the hard truth, the part, buckle your seatbelts, or we're robbing God. We're literally stealing from him. And he has given us everything we need to live righteously, to live eternally. And he asks for a portion, and we say no. You see, giving isn't a money issue. It's not about your money. God doesn't need your money. He, has, he owns everything. He needs your heart. And he knows that part of your heart issue is going to be attached to your money. Jesus only said, he used one example when he talked about you cannot serve two gods. He says you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. Those are the two examples he used, God and money. So attitude is everything. How you see, see how you spend your money is symptomatic on how you see your money. So we could look at what we spend and say, well, I need to spend differently, and that would be fine, but that would only last a little bit if our heart doesn't change and be radically transformed into, the, into the, that which God asks of us to see our money as. So 2 Corinthians uh, 9, we're going to start there. We're going to read through uh, quite a few verses in 2 Corinthians. Um, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, and he says this, Six through nine. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your hearts how much to give. Do you see that? I want you to, if you have a Bible, if you're using a Bible, please bring your Bible to church. That's a really cool thing to do. 
All the cool kids are doing it. Bring your Bible to church. Underline that passage. Each of you must decide in your heart how much to give. Do you know why that's true? Do you know why you must decide within your own family how much are we going to give? Because then when you hear something like this, you won't be provoked by guilt to give more. You've already decided. So now you can come to something like this and you can hear and you can say, we are so excited about what we give. We know that God has spoken to us. We know exactly what we were supposed to do and we have made it a choice. So as he says, he says, you must decide in your hearts how much to give. That's so important. And then he goes on and says, don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. And then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Do you see that? You will always have plenty left over. Plenty left over to share with others. In other words, we don't need everything we have. Let that sink in. We don't need everything we have. We have more than we need. And God does that on purpose. And we're going to see that in a few minutes. As the scriptures say, they, fr- they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. Now, there's two initial warnings here, which we kind of uh, brushed over, but I want to look at them. It says, don't give reluctantly. And it says, don't give in response to pressure. And both of those are both convicting and encouraging all at once. You see, we're not to give out of some outside guilt-infused pressure. Some of you might be prone to this. Those of you who start to sweat when the topic of money comes up because you automatically shift into the I don't give enough mode and "Uh uh-oh, it's about money mode, rest assured, please know that your giving, understand this, your giving, if you're writing something down, if you're writing notes, this would be a great note to write down. Your giving should do tremendously more than simply relieve the burden that not giving puts on your heart. Giving to God should do tremendously more than simply relieve the burden that not giving puts on your heart. That is not the purpose of giving. We don't get guilt giving is, oh, I feel so bad. Oh, okay, I feel better now. All right, now he's probably okay with me. We're good, we're good, right? Because I did that. I did that. You asked me and I did it. All right, good. That is not what he's hoping for. My hope is that for those of you following Jesus that are prone to the guilt, uh, the giving guilt trip that today frees you up and that you'll begin to give out of your love for God, not your fear of God. You'll give out of your love for God, not your fear of letting him down. So this element speaks to me as a pastor too because it speaks powerfully. You see, if you have to, I have to be insanely careful and intentional not to provoke guilt giving. It would be very easy for me to stand up here and to, and to say the word says to give and so we should give and you need to give and you need to give and give and give. What's wrong with you, church? That would be wrong. And so this verse helps me to articulate correctly what God wants to do because I hope that God would spark in our hearts a joy out of giving. Can you, can you imagine how, look how radical our God is. He says, you work your butt off to do what you do and to make the money that you make and then I'm going to have the audacity to ask you to give it away. Only the God of the universe could ask for something like that. I want you to work hard and then I want you to give some of it back. That's crazy. Who would ever be able to ask that? Jesus. Because he gave everything 
for us. So please know that I have painstakingly prepared this message to be biblically based. And what the Holy Spirit does in your heart is up to him. My part is simply to accurately present the word of God. God's part is to water that seed in your heart. I will produce guilt. I, I, will, I could potentially produce guilt. God will produce conviction. And the difference is that guilt cowers you in a corner and holds your hand up with a dollar bill and says, all right, take it, take it. That's guilt. Conviction says, oh, dude, God, you are so stinking amazing. I don't need this. I don't, I've, I've held on to it. It's not mine anyway. That's con- conviction makes you go. It builds something. It revives something. It makes you awake to something inside of you that makes you do things that you would never have done before because you love it. However, so, so while I want to warn you against guilt giving, I don't want you to give out of guilt ever, never give out of guilt. However, we are also called to abstain from giving reluctantly or more directly translated grudgingly. So while some of you are at the risk of, of falling prey to the pressure of guilt, others of you are so attached to your money that you won't give it away. You love it that much. Or at best, or at best in limited, calculated, and controlled ways. I'll do it if these things match up and I can, do, and I can have a little bit of say. And you know, I, For some of you, it wouldn't be far from the truth to say that your money owns you. This means, number one, either you give, but you only do so when it won't affect your lifestyle or standard of living, or two, you don't give at all. It's crazy to think about it this way, but we're called to give because we like it. We're called to give because we like it. (laughs) Only a crazy God would say that. You're called to give because you like it. No joke. God wants us to give our hard-earned money because we're pumped to see God's gospel achieved in our family, in our friends, in our neighbors, in our community, and in our world. He wants you to be so pumped about the gospel that you aren't willing to hold anything back, even your hard-earned money. He wants our hearts so fixated on his kingdom that we're willing to sacrifice our earnings for others to be a part of it. And he wants to do something in our hearts so powerfully that it doesn't feel like a sacrifice when we do it. He wants us to get to a point where we're joyfully and cheerfully giving away our stuff, giving away our money, giving away our resources, giving away our time, giving away everything that we have because we're so fixated. We have tunnel vision on the kingdom of God and we want everyone to be part of it. And so we give away that which makes that possible. And God says clearly that money is one of those ways that he uses to further his kingdom. His money that we seem to have right now that he should have access to. You should see yourself as a bank, a spiritual bank. And God at any time is allowed to take a deposit out. At any time. God is allowed to come and say, I'd like part of that because I'm going to do something over here. I'd like part of that because I'm going to do something over here. Can you imagine if you went to your bank and you went to your ATM and you put your, you put your card through and the bank said, well, what are you going to use it for? Excuse me? I get to use my money for what I want to use it for. Yeah, but we need, as a bank that is holding your money, we need to know what you're going to do with it so we can approve its spending. I'm sorry? I'm going to, can I just have all my money? I'm going to switch banks, I think. Right? That doesn't work like that. 
Somehow we believe that's how it works with God. As if we owe God a reason or, 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 or God owes us a reason for using our money. Now one more thing needs to be said before moving forward. This letter to the Corinthians is written by a Christian for Christians. So if you're in this room and you have not committed your life to Christ, if you, if you, then your first step is to come to him, confess your sins, and give him your life. When you trust God, when you trust your life in the care of Jesus, you'll trust him when he asks to give away your stuff. Trust me, you will. God's not interested in your funds as much as he is your faith. He's not as interested in, in your treasure as much as he is your trust. He's not interested in your resources as much as he is your relationship. So I say, come to him first, give to him second. Come to him. Discover what it looks like to be given everything, and you won't, reg- you won't regret giving away everything. So after this, Paul, the author of Corinthians, Corinthians lays out the, some potential things that's going to trip us up. Some things that, that maybe as we begin to think about this idea of giving, um, and when, I'm, when we're talking about giving, we're talking about the tithe, which is what we give out of a certain percentage of our income. Offerings are different than tithes. Offerings are something we give above and beyond our tithe. So we are never to trade a tithe for an offering. In other words, if you give whatever percentage you, you know, uh, 10% is training wheels, by the way. So when we look at 10% in the Bible, everyone says, well, it's 10%. That's a great starting point. If it's 50 years later and you're a believer in Jesus for 50 years and you're still giving 10%, you've missed the point. 10% is training wheels. It's the beginning step of something miraculous and amazing and stinking awesome that God does in your life because he's going to detach the chains of money little by little, detach the chains of wealth and fame and high prestige out of your life. 10% are training wheels. And America is at 2. Point, what, 2.5% on an average. We haven't even reached training wheels as a, as, an, as a Christian culture. Somehow money has so deceived us. It has so disillusioned us. Do you see? Do you, do you see? It's grip. In fact, I think that some of you in here hate the fact that we're talking about this. You hate it with a passion. And you're like, I can't wait to go home today. Sometimes I'm really excited about church. This is not one of them. You're welcome. So what's the first thing we have to recognize? We have to recognize the illusion of ownership. 2 Corinthians 9.10 For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources. Who will provide? He, Jesus, will provide. Jesus is going to provide it. For God is the one who provides it. Did you see what it says? God gives more than we need, so we in turn will give it away. God gives more than we need, so that we in turn will give it away. Let me repeat repeat that. God gives more than we need, so that we will in turn give it away. There's two little words that, that if we miss them, they're not gonna, this isn't going to make sense. And those two little words are, and then. He provides a great increase and then produces a harvest of generosity in you. Meaning he gives you more than you could ever imagine, imagine needing. And then he puts in your heart, at least that's what he wants to do. He wants to put in your heart a spirit of giving it away. I don't need all this. 
This is way more than I could ever use. When I first got into engineering, um, in my, one of my first jobs, I was fired from my first job because I wasn't good enough at it. I guess I partied too much in college. So I went to my second job, and, and the, the, he was growing so fast um, um, financially, I was in his car with him in, a, in his Mercedes, his, his convertible Mercedes, which he had two of, and I'm sitting in his car, and I'm like, this is so cool, I'm sitting in a Mercedes. And, um, and he's talking on the phone, and um, he's talking to his brother, and he says, he goes to his brother, he goes, I can't spend my money fast enough. He was making so much money so quickly at such a rapid pace, he goes, I can't even spend it. He would take instantaneous trips to Rome to, with his kids to um, anywhere in the world. He would just instantaneously go. He was a millionaire within, within a year because of his business that just started to erupt. Can you imagine if the spirit of that is, I have so much money, I can't wait to give it away. And don't think that because you don't have two Mercedes in your, in your garage or in your driveway, you're not rich. We are very wealthy. God gives us so much that we don't even need it all. He gives us a surplus that he intends for us to give give away. Here's the big picture. Once you believe God owns everything, you'll never hold back anything. So number two, fight the temptation of of attention. 2 Corinthians 9, 11 through 12 says this. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. Who are they going to thank? God. Who supplies the increase? Who are they going to thank? Oh, yeah. So when you give, don't expect everyone to thank you and shake your hand and say thank you because you're giving it so that he gets attention. That's why we give it away. That's why we lavishly give away our stuff because he lavishly gave away his son. He lavishly gave away his son and he continues to give and pour into us. So two things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. Taking it another step, God, so connect those two now. God gives us more than we need so that we will in turn give it away in order to make him known. God gives us more than we need so that we'll give it away in order to make him known. Notice the two things that will result. They will meet the needs of others and God will get the credit. Listen, this is going to hurt a little, but if you're too busy making a name for yourself, you'll never see the value of giving the way God intends. If you're too preoccupied with building your own kingdom, you'll never do what God asks to build his. Once you desire recognition for God, you'll never crave attention for yourself. The third thing that he says is we need to encounter the joy of obedience. I always find one of the things most penetrating to my heart about the Bible is that it says I'm supposed to like the commands. I'm supposed to enjoy the, 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 the direction that God gives me. I'm supposed to take heart and not reluctantly and grudgingly walk in God's ways and oh, I'm, be, oh, I'm grumble the whole time. I'm doing it, Lord, but I'm not liking it. He doesn't like it either. Amen, little one. Amen. (laughs) If we're too busy building our own kingdom, we'll never do what God asks when he wants to build his. And we will sit on the sidelines. Listen to this. We will sit on the sidelines and watch other people build God's kingdom 
Well, we go sit back and we go, wow, look what they're, look at what they're doing. Amen. Look what they're doing. We'll miss out. So encounter the joy of obedience. It says in 2 Corinthians 9, 13 through 15, as a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God. For your generosity to them and to all the believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. This is the hardest part of the message. So if you haven't buckled up your seatbelt, you're going to want to buckle it up right now, nice and tight. It says that your generosity to them and to all the believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. Ow! Ow! How much you give is a reflection of how much you're obeying him. Lord, why are you going to say stuff like that? Can I just live my comfy life? Gosh. I left my life as sin and now I got to give it away now? Man, that stuff's tough. It, it's like an arrow straight at our hearts. Straight at our hearts. When, and, and, and he's saying this as, as an encouragement. He's saying that when you give, the more you give, you're going to blow people's socks off. You're going to do things in their hearts. You're, they're going to look at you and they're going to go, people that don't know Jesus don't do that. And only the people of God are doing this. See, the people of God are supposed to give so much that it stands against the darkness of our world. It's supposed to be a light that shines like a spotlight on the cross and says, that's why we give, because he gave to us and we won't stand, we won't stand for anything less than giving everything back. Sadly, sometimes we don't look different than the world. We don't look different than those that don't love Jesus because we've bought into the lies, the deception, the seduction that the world offers. I think that's why Jesus talked about this more than heaven and hell combined. Why half of his parables were about money because he knew exactly what's going to grip our hearts. Our generosity provides evidence that God has transformed our hearts. In other words, God's people and only God's people have the potential to give so much that it causes a reaction from those watching. That's the intent. And I truly believe that outside of experiencing the lavish grace of God, people will only tighten their grip on their money and not loosen it. Outside of God asks for so much. He he has the seemingly seemingly he has the audacity to ask for so much that only people that love him will do it. You have to truly love God to do what he asks you to do because if you don't love him it's too much. You can't fake this. You can't fake giving the way God wants you to give. There's no way the only way you can, you can fake other things. You can fake certain things in your Christian life. You can fake it around other people. You can put on the Christian smile, the Christian faith, the, the Christian face. You can say your Christian stuff and wear your Christian t-shirts and play your Christian music. You can do all that. The way that he says one of the areas that will provide the greatest amount of evidence that God has completely shattered your sinful life and replaced it with one that chases after him is when it comes to your money. Ouch. So I say outside of experiencing the lavish grace of God, people will only tighten their grip to their money and will not loosen it. Once you discover God's grace, you'll never regret lavishly dishing it out. Once you discover God's grace, you'll never regret lavishly dishing it out. Let me give you a couple things. So 
start to come to a close here. The most cheerful givers. The most cheerful, those that, that love giving. Let me give you some, some things that are true about them. They give out of their love for God. The most miserable givers give out of their fear of God. Some of you might give, and I want you to give because you love God, not because you're afraid of what might happen if you don't give. The most cheerful givers get excited about the offering. The most miserable givers get excited about the return. The most excited, the most miserable givers give because all they care about is what God's going to do for them once they give to him. Isn't that sad? There's some other statistics that are pretty enlightening, um, but I'm going to kind of tell you the other. We we remember tithers make up, again, 10 to 15% of a normal congregation. 5% of the U.S. tithes, 5% of the U.S. tithes, with 80% of Americans only giving 2% of their income. Christians are only giving at 2.5%, while during the Great Depression, they gave at 3.3%. Now, numbers like that can, can possibly and potentially invoke a lot of guilt, which isn't really my point here. I've said that many times because I don't want you to feel guilty. In fact, I don't want you to give out of guilt at all because that is not what God is aiming for. The larger point is what would happen? I want you to understand this. What would happen if believers were to increase their giving to the minimum of, let's say, 10%? If believers were to give the minimum, everyone, everyone that claims Christian, uh, Christ in their heart, if they were to give the minimum 10%, what would be, uh, there would be an additional, now ch- these are staggering statistics, there would be an additional $165 billion that churches would have to distribute. $165 billion. $25 billion, they, they've discovered that $25 billion is what it requires to relieve global hunger, starvation, and deaths from preventable disease in five years. If the entire church gave, we would have enough money to solve world hunger. We have the technology to do it. We have the ability to do it. We have the manpower to do it. We don't have the money. We can, but we're not. $12 billion would eliminate illiteracy in five years. Everyone in the world could read. $15 billion could solve the world's water and sanitation issues, specifically in places in the world where 1 billion people live on less than a dollar a day. Every single person on the planet. Did you know that there's people that are drinking water filled with bacteria and disease and are dying just because of the water that they drink out of the ground? That's all they have. But we could solve that with $15 billion. $1 billion, $1 billion could fund, fully fund every single missionary on the face of the planet. $1 billion. Now listen to this. Those, those might sound like a lot of numbers, right? $100 to $110 billion would still be left for ministry expansion. You'd still have over $100 billion left after solving world hunger. Everyone reads. No one drinks bad water. $100 billion left to do crazy stuff. (laughs) Wow. I need you to do something in your heart. I need you to let God do something crazy. And I don't want you to do it because you think God's upset with you. I want you to do it because your head over heels crazy in love with God. And the hardest thing I'm going to tell you is right now, 
If you're not giving, you're robbing God. If you're not giving, you're robbing him. He has given you everything you need. He has given you more than you could ever imagine. And his intent is to give it away. Now, before I be, when I be, first became a Christian, I was really good at giving my time. I was really good at giving my time away. I invested time into our youth ministry. I invested time into our church. I didn't really understand the value of giving until I met my wife. Um, we dated for a little while, and she, gives, she was giving tithing to the church all the time. And it seemed odd to me. It seemed weird. Here I am, a Christian, love Jesus. But my girlfriend at the time was out giving me and was doing, it seemed odd. And I'm glad that she had that heart because she saw the point, she saw the value, and she, she had the conviction to just give. This is what I do. This is, this is what I do with my money. And I believe that I've become more of a giving person because of who she is back then. And I, I think it's important that we let God do something in our hearts that's not guilt-driven, that's conviction-driven. Conviction-driven. $165 billion is out there somewhere <laughs> that we're just using on other stuff because we've bought the lie that we need it. We've bought the lie that we can't live without it. We've bought the lie that our life will be less without it. We've bought the hype. We've been seduced. It makes sense why God talks about this so much, right? It makes sense. It makes sense why Jesus used this as a primary element of his parables because we're so connected to it. We're so connected to it. I'd like to propose something as we close here. Perhaps one of the reasons the church has a difficult time, the church in general and our church here, perhaps uh, the reason why we have a difficult time experiencing growth or, or seeing fruit in our mission is that one of the major areas that God wishes to use to provide evidence of his character in the lives, that, in the lives of those that don't know him is being embezzled by those that do. Perhaps the reason, let me repeat that, perhaps the reason we don't see the fruit in our ministry, in our lives, in our in our church is because one of the major areas God wishes to use to provide evidence of his character in the lives that don't know him is being embezzled by those that do. I think today as we take communion, I think it's a perfect day for communion because if something's going to provoke my heart to give to God, it's going to be when I understand how much he gave to me. My heart will be moved. It will, it, will be, it will become softened at what I see. He did not withhold anything from me. He did not withhold anything from me. And then he says, I just want a portion. And you know, what he asks, you know why he asks for that portion? Because he wants to blow the socks off of everybody else that's going to receive it. We're not going to get the credit. He's going to get the credit. And people are going to come to him. And one of the major ways he does that is through our resources, through our finances. So we're going to take communion in a few minutes. And before we do, I just want you to think. I want you to think. What did God, what has God, what will God withhold from you? Nothing. He won't withhold anything you need. He'll give you more so you can give it away.
If you're struggling today, financially, if, there's a, if you're just burdened by this idea, of, then and, and you're that family that I talked about in the beginning that, that is struggling and dealing with financial distress, please understand that that's when the church should come to your aid and should help you. That's why we have that gift of giving so that when someone in our body or someone in our community needs our help, we can lavishly give it, right? So if you're one of those people and you say, I'm not able to give or, or whatever it is in your heart, whatever it is that's happening in your life, and it's just really a big struggle, understand that God knows and understand that we want to help you. For those of you that have a surplus, for those of you that have more than enough, Let's let God do something unique in our hearts. What should we do with that surplus? What should we do with that amount? Let's pray. We're going to take communion. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your grace, your mercy, your care in our lives. God, I'm so thankful that we have you to go to. I'm so thankful that you never withhold anything from us that we need. I thank you so much for the grace that we have in Christ. God, I pray for every person in this room who, who at this point in their life does not follow you. That the first step that they would take is to recognize that you are a generous, giving, lavish God. And that that would blow them away. God, for those of us in this room who have been walking with you for quite a while, and for some reason we're just withholding that part of our life, that this, this money issue is, such, is just something that we just haven't, really gotten through yet. God, I pray that you would put something in our hearts, convict us, move in us, Lord. Help us to see you as who we're giving to. We'll give if we understand why. We'll give if we understand who. Help us to provide the evidence that people need that you're a transforming God. Open our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's have our ushers come forward. We're going to prepare for communion. Um, if you've never taken communion before, um, maybe you, this is your first time here and you're just, you, you're not sure what communion is. Communion is something that believers in Christ, those that have called upon his name do um, as a reflection, as a remembrance of what he's done in their hearts. Jesus says, when you do this, do this in remembrance of me. In other words, do this remembering that I gave you my life and this, this broken body and this shed blood is represented symbolically in crackers and our juice here and, and, and it's powerful to remember. I think doing it once a month is pretty cool because we get once a month to be reminded that God really did die, that God really was broken, that Jesus, who was God, came and sacrificed himself. And you know what's cool about Jesus? This is what's so cool about Jesus. He said, you can't take my life. I'm going to give it. You can't take my life. I'm God. You can't murder me. You can't, you can't take me unless I want you to. And he did it freely because he knew we were the reward. Isn't that pretty cool? It's pretty cool. So you can remain seated. We're just going to sing this song. You guys can sing along with us, and we're going to pass out the elements, and then we'll, uh, you can hold on to them. We'll take them together um, at the end. So thank you very much. Your blood speaks a better word Than all the empty claims I've heard upon this earth it Speaks righteousness for me It stands in my defense 
Jesus, it's your blood. Your blood speaks a better word than all the empty claims I've heard upon this earth. Speaks righteousness for me, stands in my defense. Jesus, it's your blood. Testifies in grace, tells of the Father's heart to make a way for us. How boldly we approach, not earthly confidence, it's only by your blood. What can wash emblems here we know that um, we know that God really did send Jesus those of you that know that in this place I pray that you would understand the give the giving attitude the, the, the lavishness of who Jesus is he never holds back anything we need so in these emblems we get to know that when we give to God we're giving to a God who gave first we're giving to a God who exemplified for us what it means to give 
And do you know that your giving doesn't determine what God gives you? The amount that you give does not determine what God gives to you. Don't ever buy the lie that when you give more, God gives you more. When you give less, God gives you less. God is a giver, period. We have the privilege, though, to give back because he asks us to. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time that we can just reflect on who you are. Thank you for your broken body that was broken for us willingly, was not taken from you. Thank you for going to that cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's partake. pray. Lord, thank you for your spilt blood. It was real blood. God, I thank you that you chose freely to do that as well. I pray, God, that we would understand the implications that it means for our lives. It means that we were so wayward, we were so far off that it required your sacrifice to make us well. We were, we were dead and your blood brings us back to life. We were separated from you. Your sacrifice revives and reconciles that relationship. Sometimes I wonder, God, if we understand, if we truly understand how important your death really was. Help us, God, for those of us that have been walking with you for, for quite some time, help us to never take for granted your death. Help it to continually blow us away and to wake our hearts up to your gospel message every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's partake. As you guys leave today, just remember that you serve a giving God, a loving God, a caring God. He loves you. He cares for you. But the bottom line is he has asked us to do something that's probably one of the most difficult things to do, and that's to give our stuff away. I pray that God would do something in your heart and open your heart up to that. Amen? Amen. Amen. You guys... Maybe dismiss. We'll see you guys next week.